Welcome to the sweatiest episode of the Everything Hurts podcast. It is episode 14. My name is Herr Dr. James Heathers, and I live in the sea. Now, are you co-hosts? Let's say co-hosts. This is... I can't be my co... The, the pronoun's wrong. Uh, we should really do this again. We're not going to do this again. This is Dr. Daniel Quintana. He lives in Oslo. Uh, he's better looking than me, and today he's infinitely more mentally together. Um, I've it's made just my, as hot here, though. I've it's, made it's my peace wave. with this. What? It's hot in Norway. Yeah, we're hitting uh, hitting twenty eights. Oh dear me, you must yeah. be suffering. The um, all the yeah. snow has melted. <laughs> what will the elm trees say? It's um, yeah, it's getting pretty uh, pretty hot for this uh, this part of the world. Well, that's good. I suppose it's the, it tis tis the season, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, it's episode fourteen. Now you you have a you have a topic that is near to your young black heart. <laughs> I thought today we will talk about uh, public engagement. Let's talk yeah. about public engagement. Now I think this is becoming. You would uh, you would choose a plosive, wouldn't you? Because that's going to make my microphone pop unless I'm very careful about my yeah. P's. Testing your your skills, your non uh, pop filter skills. Mine. So we. <laughs> I thought we'd talk about uh, public engagement. More, more and more of these funding agencies are actually starting to, to care more about it. Are they? Um, yeah, they are. There, there are sections, there are specific sections in a lot of these applications where they ask, uh, how are you actually, uh, firstly, how have you uh, taken part in public engagement in your career? What have you Damn done in the past? Yeah. Okay. And uh, they also ask, you know, how are you actually going to be disseminating your research to the public as well? So it's becoming more of an important uh, hmm. aspect, not just for doing public engagement for the the sake of it. We'll get onto that later, but it's actually becoming a metric for people's grant applications. I think it's a very small percentage, but uh, but it is know, in there. It is in there, and we know how close. Uh, how did these, I not uh, know that? Well, I mean, not all these not all these people are doing it. Um, who does do it? Know. Give us an example of, of someone in the academias who um, is asking for that information. There was a... Uh, I did a recent application for um, Altmetric, which is um, these people who are actually measuring the impact of your research online, how it's spoken about on Twitter or on Facebook. That in itself is public engagement. Um, and they were giving out a small grant, and one of the questions they were actually asking is, "Sorry, how that's act- a that's a you, there's a grant from someone who specifically measures academic engagement online, and you're using that as an example of a funding agency." Yeah, that, so that that was that was one, but I do know there are other agencies. I think locally as well. The, it uh, is the re- spendingly specific. Yeah, the Research Council of Norway also uh, for a lot of their grants asks how will the um, the research be disseminated publicly oh. as well. Yeah. Okay, I guess they're they're a real funding agency. <laughs> yeah. Um and I do believe some of the Australian um uh, grants also ask for these type of questions as well. Well they heard you were doing it. They want to be cool. They want to, they want to do it. So, you know, and th- this this could be a number of things. And um, the good thing is it's actually making a lot of research. I mean, obviously, you know what side I'm on. I think it's super important to actually be talking about our research to the public. I think science has a, uh, a peer, you know, an image problem. Um, you know, people mm-hmm. don't, you know, believe in it, for one. Um, so it's really important for scientists to be actually talking about research um, out in the public sphere. 
But now that uh, granting agencies are making this a part of their applications, it's actually motivating scientists to get off their ass and actually think about how they're doing this. Hmm. Okay. Because, you know, everyone is uh, just uh, short on other tasks, I suppose. So. <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay your, your salary. You have to start doing it then. Well, it's a good thing we do it anyway. Yeah, but I think the reasoning behind that is, well, if the public are funding uh, funding research, then the public should probably find out about what you're doing. No, oh, isn't um, that the same access, <laughs> uh, open access argument that uh, yeah. is still meandering around and uh, gradually becoming slightly less ridiculous? Yeah, it is, but uh, a lot of people can't actually interpret what we write in these papers. So, open access... I can't interpret what you write in your papers. <laughs> exactly. So, what's the public going to do? Um, but well, hopefully is... not read them because they're all <laughs> they're, they're they're great. They're, 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 you know, especially the um. We'll, we'll get onto it later, but this uh this kids paper that's just been accepted. But we'll, we'll get back onto that later. Wasn't I uh, extremely rude about that? Yeah, I don't know why. Um, you, well, was I in a bad mood, or is the paper awful? No, the the paper is great. So to oh, to give okay. a bit of a background, um, uh, Frontiers for Young Minds. It's a journal which has been started up by the uh, the Frontiers Group. And the idea being that um, researchers are invited to uh, retool one of their papers into a paper that's um, accessible to either, I think it's 8 to 11-year-olds or 11 to 14-year-olds. And what happens with this journal is it's actually peer-reviewed not only by a scientist, but it's also also peer-reviewed by an actual young person or a classroom of kids. And they... Yeah, my our paper. This is uh, co-authored by uh, by Gail Alvarez, um, our, our collaborator. Um, was given. A, we had a classroom, so there was not only you, you think having three reviewers was bad enough or hard enough work. We had about ten. Yeah, twenty-eight <laughs> year olds. Oh, I'm just looking at your paper reviewed by Saint Bernard Regional Catholic School. Yeah, so it was a school. So obviously, we had the the teacher relaying all the comments. Uh, but they gave heaps of feedback. They were telling us, you know, this bit's confusing or this bit is interesting. Tell us more. Um, show us a picture of the thing you're talking about. I, d- I don't get this figure. Really cool stuff. Uh, you know, very, you know, very. Forward. One of these figures is just a picture of a vole. Yeah, because we were asked for one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, your research <laughs> is insufficiently adorable. So we were asked because we were talking about the, uh, but there's actually no free images. We all, we all know the the prairie vole is the one which is the pair the, bonding the, research model. Yes. Yeah, but um, its cousin, the meadow vole, is used as the one which isn't monogamous. There isn't actually any um, free images of the prairie vole that we can use without paying for it. So the only one, the only one I could find was the meadow vole. Close enough. That's but we actually, really strange. Yeah, yeah. So there's just there's no royalty free images of the uh, of the prairie vole. There's no royalty free images of a prairie vole. Not well, that I if could find. if there is a uh, civic minded wildlife photographer listening to this, uh, you could make a lot of scientists who waste their time working on high level neuropeptide lies and misapprehensions very happy by producing such an image. Or you could draw you could draw one. You have some reasonable illustrations. Yeah, yeah, I thought about doing that too, but I uh, just went with the Metavol. But this was a this is a great experience um, because if you can explain your research to a twelve year old, I think you could explain it to to everyone. So it was a good lesson in actually writing writing up a research paper, making it so it's comprehensible, but at the same time not sounding condescending, which was mm. a bit tricky. Uh, but I mean, we we had the luxury of having a, a glossary section down the side of the paper. 
Um, so no, it was it was a great experience, and uh, that should be out within the next week or two. So once it comes out, we will put the uh, the link up there. Mm. But it was talking about uh, oxytocin and um, uh, the social aspects of this neuropeptide. So yeah, it was a lot of fun, um, and I uh, can't wait to get it out there. And I really hope that a lot of um, science. Te- I know when I was in school, when I was uh, when I was learning, so I was interested in science, but I didn't actually realize that. Um, psychology or behavioral science was a thing so hopefully this will um you know be of interest um some of the uh, youngsters out there so this is why you wanted to do this topic yeah partly so um oh okay yeah more more just to you know i i remember what got what got me into science was uh jurassic park you cannot possibly be serious i'm dead serious i watched this i saw the whole thing on dna and i'm like this is cool this is so super cool. why didn't you become a geneticist or a biologist? Yeah, yeah I was thinking about it. But I mean, I, I got halfway there, biological psychiatry. That's not really halfway there. It's about 15% of the <laughs> way there. Yeah, it's got, it's got biological in it. Look, I was very interested in biology. So did dustbins. <laughs> well, I was I was super interested in biology, but then I realized that what was more, more, was more interesting in biology was people. So this was a uh, this is this is a good medium. What, what, what got you into the science caper? I always wanted to be a scientist. Just from forever. Oh, I think um, it was just one of those uh, it's one of those conceptions you have as a a young person, and I don't know. I had a, a few silly ideas knocking around. I, I think um, I, I I put the 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 primary influence down to having a full copy of the Funk and Wagnalls Encyclopedia when I was young. You just read that, uh, yeah. And finding out how look the 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 main corpus of knowledge that we've got, if we put to one side arguments about phenomenology and whether or not St. Anne Helm was right and how to be nice to people um, and other such boring non-entities. Um, the vast majority of stuff that you read in an encyclopedia is established from some area of science. So mm. some of it was interesting. Some of it persisted through high school. Um, I think I persisted in psychology long enough to become thoroughly dissatisfied with most of the work which is when I started branching out into electrocard and signal analysis and measurement theory and all the other stuff that I do to annoy people now. Well, speaking of annoying people and, and measurement stuff, mm, okay, um, okay. That's, uh, that's that's a, that's always a that's a fantastic intro. Your uh, your grim paper is uh, I've seen preprint. It's yeah, your gr- your grim preprint. Uh, I, we we spoke about this in our in our last episode. Um, it's uh, it's been getting a lot of a lot of coverage online. Yes. Now, uh, this kind of fits, I suppose. You're talking about public engagement. Um, if you have a specific thing you wish people to be interested in, you need contacts and resources to make it more broadly accessible to people. And it's not something that you can do yourself. You can't rely on people's intrinsic interest in anything to do the heavy lifting it needs to be put into existing channels by which information is transferred between people 
So obviously we've used a lot of them and the paper's been out for a week. And I have metrics as you do, the same way any any person who manages uh, public access and social media in particular has metrics. And I tried to get it into as many hands as possible. Um, not because I want to be famous, but because the preprint needs to have as it's an important thing, and it needs to have as many eyes as it as possible. So, I mean, it, I'd like to like it to be broadly adopted, but the point right now, considering the fact it's a preprint rather than just shoving it straight out into publication, is I want it to be critiqued. I want clever people to see it and tell me if there's anything wrong with it. Can you just give a, a quick update of what the Grim test actually is? Uh, yeah, it's a mind-alteringly simple <laughs> method of detecting if averages or means can exist at all in small samples of data for the simple fact that uh, categorical data, ordinal data, a lot of the time isn't isn't amenable to uh, I, I, I won't I won't put it that way. Let's just let's talk about an example. Mm. Um, say we uh, say we take ten people and we ask them to rate from one to nine uh, whether or not they're feeling tired. Where nine is essentially asleep and one is sort of methamphetamine at quarter past eight in the morning after a good night's sleep, and everyone puts five. What's the average from the ten people? Five. Okay, and since say one person gets slightly sleepier, and then put six, so now the scores for our sample are nine fives and a six. Yeah. So what's the average? Five point one. Yeah. 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 So if I was reading a paper and they said we had ten people, and the average sleepiness quotient, because you need to dress these things up fancy so they sound more scientific. The average sleepiness quotient was 5.07. That's impossible. Yeah, that's exactly the point. It's inconsistent with the sample size and the granularity of the data. And that's why the test is called the GRIM test, because it stands for Granularity Related Inconsistency of Means. All words of which are important. I didn't do one. You know those when they do a clinical trial and they smash together all these words to try and get it to have some cute acronym? No, I've told you this. Spelling it, it, contract. It's... It's a, it's or, a requirement. We've we've spoken about this. It's a, it's a requirement for a lot, a lot of granting agencies. You have to have a cute acronym. Okay, so hang on. You you told me that, and I willfully forgot it because it sounds awful. Yeah, but it's a thing. Right. Okay. The European Research Council. Oh, those people. Okay. Um. Actually, they managed to not piss me off the other day because they um have <laughs> mandated that uh they've mandated op- open access and open data policies for everything they fund by twenty twenty. Um, Great. Which that, I think that's open data in particular is a uh, an interest of mine, especially considering uh things like the Grim test. So the whole point is, if you go far enough through uh, a lot of papers you will find that there's an enormous amount of data that fails to display consistency. You hit that between 50, 50% the average and the sample size. Well, it's um, of, of the things, you can't use it to check everything because if the sample size is too high, then every value the mean can take is possible. Sure. But a lot of the time that doesn't happen in psychology. So we went with uh, three journals in the last five years, took a maximum of 100 from each journal. 
We found 260 papers, and mid-70s were available to be checked by the technique. So that's not all of them, obviously. Mm. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of a lot of means, uh, even within papers that have inconsistencies, aren't checkable. But out of all the stuff we could check, half of them had a value that was inconsistent with the reported parameters, and one in five had a pattern of inconsistencies, which I will call troubling. That's mm. the word I'd choose. <laughs> We asked for the data um, of these papers. We got about half of it, which is pretty good going because people don't send data for a variety of reasons. And mm. all the papers that we checked when we got the data, there was a problem somewhere. Somewhere. And th- yeah, and but this kind of ranged from it ranged minor from typos. It ranged to- from typos to we got the formula wrong in Excel to frankly uh my data handling and analysis is a trash fire and i have no <laughs> idea what i'm doing do you um was that, was that someone told you in other words or no that's my that's my that's my candid opinion on a couple yeah. of these papers um as people who in any rational universe would uh, fail a, a electrician apprenticeships or uh mcdonald's counter work is just totally inexcusable some of it but um, none of it was fraudulent. It was all, you know, at worst, it was sloppy. Yeah. The thing that we're concerned about is the fact that a lot of these properly inconsistent papers, when we know that if we check the inconsistent papers, we find inconsistencies, so the test works. But there were 12 papers where we requested data, and the people either said, oh, that's a, that's a nice idea, and they never got back to us, or didn't reply at all, or told us to pound sand and go away. Now, obviously, this is a, um, you know, if up to 50% of at least of the sample you looked at um, had mistakes in it, it's an it's an important test for people to use. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of even using it myself, um, just, you know, almost as a, as a safety check before I actually... Yeah, its, main, it's main function will be peer-reviewing stuff and... Yeah, also you know. as, a, as, a, as a review of myself. Uh, so it's important to get it out there. Um, and uh, you've obviously put it out there as a preprint to get some feedback. Yes. Um, um, let's stop using me in the singular. You, sorry, you, you, and, you and Nick Brown. Well, Nick and... I think of it as Nick and me. I think he yeah. was more important to the process. Certainly he did more work and he's infinitely more patient than me, although that isn't particularly hard. That's not very hard. <laughs> So, um, so you, you, both of you put this preprint out there, um, yes. but you've also done a lot of stuff actually um, putting it out there in the public. One yes. thing being a um, the, the blog post that you wrote on Medium, yes, as well. So um, that's do, do you, obviously you release that at the same time. You try to link people to it. Um, I have my own Facebook page where I handle most of the stuff that I write, which is reasonably extensive these days. But do, do you have any idea, when, when you actually put this stuff out there, do you have any idea of the sort of breakdown of your people reading it? Obviously, scientists are reading it, but what about more of the lay kind of science-interested public? Um, well, it's lucky enough that it's, it's simple enough to bridge that divide. But, so, okay, yeah, okay. So, Mike, had to, do I know? Well, it's, it's, difficult, to, it's difficult to say. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have IP tracking, so I can't tell you what... Cities these people are coming from. No, that's a particularly good thing. I mean, if you get something from, um, you get lots of hits from Boston and San Francisco. It's uh, yeah. they're more likely to be uh, people in the biomedical sciences rather than hits from you know, Kansas or Tubsili, Georgia, where uh, 
radical nationalist meat eaters attacked a vegan cafe with sausages a couple of days ago. Uh, <laughs> less less of a scientific hotbed. Oh, I always get a um speaking. I know of, there's uh, a lot of there's a lot of cities that would fit that bill. It's just that, <laughs> that one comes immediately to mind because the story was so unbelievably bizarre. We, we always get a hit on our um on our podcast from Artarman back in Sydney. Isn't that your old stomping ground? That's where I lived, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not it's a ghost of me listening to it. It's probably yeah. someone else that we went to university who still lives in Artarman, which is not yeah. a small suburb, uh, yeah, listening yeah. to the podcast. Oh. Hello, hello, uh, hello, Artarman listener. Hello, Artarman listener. <laughs> okay, so this this is something. Do you So you do this with all your papers. You do, obviously you write the paper, be it that, a paper or a preprint. That, that depends, yeah. Um, and then you do typically a medium post. Yeah. No, this is this was a specific one where I, I wanted to have also I mean, anything that has the there's there's a few things that I think make it more likely for you to want to spend the time backing up a say seven thousand word article with a four thousand word blog post. These aren't quick activities, even if you write fast. If you think it will have more broader public interest it's worth doing if you think it's more likely to be misconstrued or misunderstood and that's dangerous then i think it's worth doing because people will even journalists who are intimately familiar with science in general general scientific milieu stuff who are capable of reading a paper they'll rather read your blog post because they're in a hurry a journalist yeah so if you want it to be uh if you if you think it's worth pushing out more broadly and you think it's worth making sure that you are correctly understood when there's crucial points that are in the paper that you can't break down and explain in normal person's language which i infinitely prefer to scientific language yeah then um yeah it's absolutely worth backing up with a blog post but you know we've published a few things in the last little while um actually we published something else since the last time we did a podcast we got that um bmc psych john's paper it was accepted. Um, yes, it's accepted. And that's, now. Yeah, that's so that, that's going to be online maybe in the next week. Is or that whatever. your first senior author paper, you nasty old man? It, it is our first empirical senior author. Right. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to your ridiculous opinions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and I, I, I published a protocol uh, a few, uh, about a month ago. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so now, okay, now that's I'm, less ridiculous. I'm pre registering my meta analysis. So good man. I think, we've, I think we've spoken about it before, but yeah, it is my first uh, first empirical senior authorship. Good. So that's, well, here's, uh, th- there you go. I mean, are you going to are you going to write a blog post for that, Captain Public Engagement? Probably not. Uh yeah, I think I will. I'll, I'll do a short one. Okay. Yeah, more just explaining why we did what we did and what we found. Mm, um, look, it's also for. I mean, I feel like in in a situation like that, you've got a technical paper. Um, it's. You know, you collected data, you did research, you got a thing. It's also for the posterity of the paper. Yeah. You know, it's written by you. It will be understood in the context of people who go searching for it will also find your original reference to it. Because it's not going anywhere. It's on the internet now. So if people need it to be explained, then they discover, A, the whole thing explained in a way that which you'd like, in language that isn't opaque, difficult, or stupid. Um, They also discover the fact that you're probably available to talk to if you're going to the trouble of putting that in the public domain i people write to me a lot more um because of something i wrote that's not a paper than they ever have you know a corresponding author they put your email on the paper and then you think oh people will email if they have questions a lot of the time they don't and it's not I've, just it's not not just because they're not interested thank you very much i hear you thinking 
Um, <laughs> it's because, you know, it's... Uh, People have this idea, like, oh, they won't want to, won't want to talk to me about the work. I <laughs> probably do. Um, I think corresponding authors generally have a pretty good record of corresponding. They're usually the person out of all the authors who's most interested in talking about it. So yeah. that's your first tiny little networking thing that goes out with everything you publish. It's the fact that your email's on the damn thing. I've actually found, um, I did this paper, which was a step-by-step guide on actually running a meta-analysis in R. Open access, you know, single author corresponding, um, you know, a few sort of questions here and there. But on the side of that, I actually did a video, which was a screencast, basically, of me um, doing the meta-analysis in R. That has gotten a ton of interest that's gotten more reads in the actual paper and like you said more people have actually been contacting me going hey this is cool but i'm a bit stuck on this how do you do this or have questions about the actual meta-analysis so hmm. i think you make a great point that it just bridges that gra- it bridges that gap and makes you a bit more approachable and hmm. people are kind of like well he's not just some person up you know yeah well that's all, yeah of course but it's also it's not for general public engagement it's also for other scientists who don't necessarily have the time to go traipsing through your paper if it's from something that's oblique to their field i suppose rather than something completely different it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's easier to have it explained especially if there's um if there's some kind of crux if there's some reason that it's important I think it's better off explained in clear language where people can see it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, one thing I've never tried doing, I always thought, oh, I should actually do that. I don't know if I'd get in trouble or not. Um, <laughs> is you can leave comments on PubMed articles. I really should have at some point in time. All the stuff I've written about things I've published, uh, the blog posts I've written about, papers that I've published, I'll be specific. Um, I never stuck them on PubMed and I always thought that would be a good idea, but I never got around to it. Yeah, super easy to do. Uh, PubMed Commons. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's a, that's a great system. I don't see a lot of uptake, but it seems like a... Uh, I mean, a, a few people use it. It's mainly used to, to criticize papers. <laughs> uh, more often than not, rightly so. Um, but um, Well, seemed... yeah, you've got, to, you've got to go to the trouble. I mean, it does put your name in the public domain on top of the criticism. It's not like PubPeer. Yeah. So with pub here, you can actually go up an- anonymously. Um, well, yeah, you can leave uh, you can leave anonymous uh, remarks on papers, and that's um, but that's also. I mean, people, oh, it's mean. It's encouraging people to be mean and nasty. It's scientific vigilantism. I can just hear the pearl clutching in my head. <laughs> um, I suppose that's a very specific form of public engagement. But I tell you what, it's engaged the hell out of a lot of retractions where people have noticed it. Figures are wrong, data is suspicious, funny stuff is happening. Those assays don't work like that. I'm doing that exact work right now, and it doesn't work like that at all. We should write to the editor. Yes, we should. What happens to the paper? The paper almost invariably gets spiked if there's a problem that ends up being discussed more broadly. But I Um, think this comes back to that same old problem. You just don't want to be seen as this cranky dude behind a keyboard just going that's because there is i mean uh, let's look at did you just say i don't want to be seen as a cranky dude behind a keyboard yeah i get paid for writing snarky stuff what do you think i want to be seen (laughs) as but no i'm more talking in the context of looking at oxytocin assays there are theoretical limits behind what you would expect in 99 percent of humans and you read a and you read a paper and it's like a hundred (laughs) times it's like four times the amount you find in a in a a woman in labor 
and this happens a lot but uh, how many you can't you know just write a comment yeah your, your thing's wrong you don't want to be that guy um well like what's 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 the limit you know what you need to do then if there's that many of them and you don't want to be that guy what you need to do is go and collate all that data and write your own thing about it and then you need to engage with that as a research process i mean that's something that you need to handle formally rather than just because look bitching on the internet justifiably has a bad name because it's usually done by massive sweaty adult children of both genders um in the middle of the night under a blanket smoking a cigar and giggling I mean, the people on the internet, I, I, I struggle to understand how... It's not, not even that they have jobs, but the idea that they have families, so they have n- normal human relationships. Um, I think there's just a, there's an awful lot of people in the world who should have been in that cage with the gorilla. Um, yeah, Cincinnati gorilla. should have been shot instead of the gorilla. That that outrage machine is just out of control. Oh, man. Like, it's not the amount of horrible things that happen every day and the, the, I've paid absolutely no attention whatsoever to this but um, because a friend of mine who I will not name and she'll never hear this so it doesn't matter um, <laughs> was very emotionally involved in this so um, I felt it necessary to do a long series of gorilla jokes to restore perspective um, can't say it was well received but it doesn't really matter <laughs> it's the um... internet the internet outreach thing is um Obviously, John Ronson wrote a great book about it, and um, I already, I already had largely that perspective, but I had no idea how destructive it can be to the people who are involved. Well, I, I always think back to that um, that lady. Remember that lady that said that racist remark? Uh, she was a PR, worked in PR. She was traveling to Africa, and um, yeah. she wrote a tweet going to Africa. Hope I don't catch AIDS, lol. So, something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's in the book. Have you read this book? No, no. Okay, but, um, so this is had... a, the, the problem with tone on the internet. Is that um, well, I don't think it's a problem with tone. Satire but... is not generally seen as satire. But but imagine if a, a you know an Amy Schumer, for instance, wrote something like that. You kind of you know it, the joke is in horrible taste, and you can almost take it as a um, it's almost a satirical look at. You know how, how we. It's obviously satire. See, that's the the point is that no one thinks that. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But th- you're saying it's time, in bad taste. I'm not saying it's a good joke. I'm saying it's very obviously not supposed to be. But no, but, no, but the problem it's, with it's, the, it's distasteful. But the problem with the internet outrage machine is that that single tweet, all it takes is for one person of, of influence, one person with a lot of followers, and all of a sudden it's in front of a thousand people. And because all it takes is oh retweet retweet, it's so easy. Or, or Facebook, you can you can reshare certain comments. Hmm. It's so easy for these things to spread, and you're almost at an arm's length um, between. It just becomes so easy to actually shame these people. Um, you really so, need to read this book if you haven't. Yeah, I, I sound by the sounds of it, I have to. But hmm. uh, yeah, that was just that was a crazy. So you know, she obviously by the by the she had no idea what was happening in the air. She, she lands and she has a, a whole bunch of journalists at the airport going, "Tell us about your tweet. Are you remorseful?" And she's like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah. And then she loses a job. She worked in PR. And, yeah. She has um, a life ruined completely. Yeah. Like. I, yeah. It's it's crazy. 
Yeah, well, this is the nice part about scientific engagement. You can't say, unless you're actually really on the side of the damned and you're writing something about how you can cure cancer with chiropractic or something like that, um, <laughs> people are not going to people are not going to throw rocks at you because you wrote a signal analysis paper. <laughs> I mean, that's that's handy at the very least. That's yeah, handy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe some of your stuff is sufficiently outrageous. I don't know. <laughs> mine, mine certainly isn't. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. Remember to follow us on Twitter via at Hertz Podcast. You can also share the love on Facebook and give us a like. Search Everything Hurts Podcast. And you can also send us an email at everythinghurtspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for any future episodes, just drop us a line. Until next week, bye for now.